cryptocurrency is still a new topic to most investors. Make sure you are up to date with the laws and regulations when it comes to keeping your crypto investments safe from government audits. Joe brought back a popular previous guest of his, asset protection lawyer Brian Bradley, to discuss what you need to know about storing and claiming your cryptocurrency investments since the government is now cracking down on its audits. Let's just get right down to business. This, this is the Joe Robert Show. The Joe Robert Show. The Joe Robert Show. Hello, Brian. Welcome to the show. Uh, you've been on here as a guest before, and I appreciate having you back on this time. We're going to go into a little bit more depth on topics around digital assets, uh, the legal taxing and asset protection. Uh, you know, give us a little background about, you know, your work into the digital asset space. Yeah, thanks, Joe. And this is really going to be a super hot topic. And, you know, like, I just want to lead with like, I'm not an expert in crypto. I'm not anyone's guru. And so this is just going to be a fun discussion for us. And like, I just happen to have a niche in the law where I represent really wealthy clients, you know, and I'm an investor myself. And, you know, like most people, cryptocurrency, like I think the inventing of the blockchain really is like inventing the internet and Bitcoin and crypto really have just become a, was it like a quote unquote thing. And it's just taking over the conversation. Like I can't go in and buy a cup of coffee or go to the gym without getting stuck in a conversation about crypto and investing. Where is, this, where is it going? What's it doing? People are actually legitimately spending money that they just spent their you know, limited time and energy on making to purchasing crypto. And most of my clients have it or they're buying it. It's in their portfolio. And so I think um, the more we understand this topic, you know, about its value, what it is, where is it going, and then how to protect it and some of the laws and regulations around it, the better you'll do investing it and understanding it. Yeah, I agree. I, based on the conversation I hear around me, it kind of gives me insight into how much in depth are those people invested into the ecosystem. Example, I got off the plane in Miami and people are kind of talking about the Dogecoin, Safe Moon, and all these meme coins. And, you know, it kind of shows to uh, the two sides of investors right now, right? It's kind of like the retail TikTok frenzy and those that are, you know, in, involved in building and developing in the ecosystem. No, exactly. And I look at it a lot like stocks, you know, like there's a lot of people who just throw money in stocks and don't do their homework. And then there's the people who do their homework in stocks and understand how to invest. And the same thing I look at, like me personally, investing in crypto is do your homework, understand the blockchain you're investing on, you know, like what you're, you know, like we can break down because that's where I find the value, you know, in backing of crypto is, is like, blockchain that you're investing in. And then other people who are just throwing money in crypto because they're afraid of missing out and have no idea what they're doing. And then they're buying high, panicking, selling low. And then that gives great opportunities for guys like you and me to go in and buy the dips off of this panic. Yeah. And so most of us, uh, most people, you know, always uh, come to us asking, you know, what should we buy? When should we buy? Uh, kind of, you know, what's the thesis behind Bitcoin and so forth? What is, how do you answer that question? You know, like, so what is crypto you're, you're asking or? Yeah. What is Bitcoin and what is crypto and kind of, you know, how do you yeah. kind of decide, you know, give an answer to somebody on how they decide what to invest in? Yeah, it's a good, good, good question. I think it's a great starting point, you know, and my take might be different than a lot of other people's because like I was saying, a lot of people are just buying because they're afraid of missing out and they don't understand the what, why, or the risk. And if you can't answer those questions when you're investing in something, and don't invest. And so first, I think the word cryptocurrency is a really bad word for it because crypto is not a currency. You know, like it, it probably seems like a shock if I say that to somebody, it could become a currency down the road. And I think that will become like chapter two of Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, but it's not your typical asset. You know, it's not like a traditional financial asset. It's not a stock, you know, it's not a payment system. It's not money. Um, it has features of all of them, but it's not them. And those features aren't an identity to them. Um, what I find, you know, Bitcoin or cryptocurrency really is, it just depends on the use and how it stores and imports value. And that just depends basically 
on the um, secure title of ownership, because this is really what we're talking about is title to ownership when we're talking about blockchains. And we talk about the actual value of crypto and we can talk about it later because that's a big topic or like, is it gold? Is it inflation hedge? You know, like, what is it? What's its value? But crypto is defined legally, um, which is probably why you have me on here as, you know, uh, as a protection attorney, but it's defined legally as a property in almost every country in the world and in the US. And that has a huge implication on tax regulations and disclosures. And so it's both a payment system and money, and it's a security, but its beauty is that it's peer to peer with no dangerous third party or centralized banking. So it's a decentralized ledger or network or really just a blockchain um, that solves these problems by math that anyone can do with a transparent ledger and a trail that's distributed on multiple computers and they're validating transactions. And it's not just some like big massive server locked away in a massive big building. And this is all done at the same time. It's not hidden and everybody can see it. And what you did then is create this, this, this um, transparent and completely audible trail that everything can happen on. Um, and a person like a judge or someone can't just come in and say, hey, I don't like this. I'm going to go and change that block. And it's driven by consumer desire. And this driving force for the crypto part of it is providing something that current money just doesn't have. And it's security and decentralization. And you have a strictly limited amount of Bitcoin, which is beautiful about it because you can't deflate it like you can with the US dollar fiat currency. And so you have the making of a far superior system with a blockchain technology compartment to it that government fiat money doesn't have. And it's transferred between two people with no third party. And so you have this entire monetary system that's now decentralized and it doesn't depend on trust or centralized banks or the government which then really leads to like the natural question of like, even what's the value of the currency then? Yeah, what comes to my mind is, you know, coming out of the, now we're back in another real estate hype cycle, but uh, coming out of the 2000s and the, a lot of mortgages that were originated, we were acquiring pools in 2012 and on. And some of the biggest problems were a lack of payment records uh, for the courts to be able to verify, you know, borrowers payments. And so if they implemented, uh, you know, some type of blockchain like this in the future, you know, it wouldn't, uh, it would allow the courts to process these immutable records and we wouldn't have the problems that we do now. Oh, exactly. And it would be transparent. Like I've had to go into court. I literally see the opposing parties witness sitting there writing <laughs> evidence that they're about to sit, submit into evidence. And so when you start talking about blockchain transactions and audibility, like right here, this, this completely is a game changer, which is like the, the beauty of what blockchain actually even is. So how do you value uh, Bitcoin yourself? Okay. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a, it's a great question. And so to reiterate, I just want to let people know, like, I'm not a crypto expert. So this is just going to be my opinion, but a great way to answer is like, I came across this article when I was listening to Guy Swan read it on his show. And it was an article written by a really smart guy, Jeffrey Tucker. And it was in December, 2020. And so Jeffrey works for and writes for the American Institute of Economic Research. And it really makes you, or at least it made me dive deep into the history of Bitcoin and step back and analyze it to see like, where's it going? What is it? And because if you're investing in it, that's kind of what you need to know. And so from a hard money background, this is kind of where I want to do a long-winded answer on what it is, because we need to understand where our concept of money comes from. So from a hard money background, it's hard to make sense of what Bitcoin or cryptocurrency really is. It's just confusing to most people because we think and we're taught about paper money and gold. And I believe that this is where the confusion really even comes from. You know, what we need to do is update our expectations and our thinking about money. And so I'm going to go farther back in history in 1912. Ludwig Misses. I, I think I'm probably like butchering his last name, mm -hmm. but I don't really, I don't really care. But Ludwig wrote a theory on money and credit. And what Ludwig did was he traced the value of price and money to its origins and how money gets its price in terms of goods and services that you're going to get from it. And so Bitcoin satisfies those conditions because money comes from the market. 
And it comes about in multiple ways, but like slowly and gradually as business owners start looking for a commodity for exchanges. And so instead of bartering with each other, like we used to do, people get a good, not for consumption, but to trade. And that good becomes money and money is the most marketable commodity that there is. But money can only have value if it's bargain, if it's like a bargain for a commodity. And so like, look at salt, for example, um, salt didn't become money because it has other value use for it. Bitcoin's value is both the payment system and money. And I want to say this again, because this is where I think the value comes from. Bitcoin's value is both a payment system and money. The payment system is the source of value. The actual Bitcoin is only a unit of expression, you know, that it has off of, it's an accounting of your trust and your faith off of the network or the blockchain that it's on. If you take that currency off the blockchain, it becomes absolutely worthless. But the cryptocurrency isn't just about the currency. Remember, you know, the currency is just an accounting of that network or that blockchain. The blockchain itself is what's revolutionary. And so I think chapter one, like you and I were talking about off, off camera, I think it was, chapter one of Bitcoin was proving that it can work and that it has value. This has been accomplished. You know, and now we're starting to see investors and you know, they're coming into the cryptocurrency world. Fortune 500 companies are coming in, implementing crypto. Billionaires are coming in just now. Um, this is what we've been seeing over the last like, you know, few months. And then you're seeing the US government creating and wanting to create a what, centralized crypto bank. They're also getting into the game. And this is what's creating a lot of the current market manipulation that we're seeing with the crypto market right now. And so now it looks like chapter two of Bitcoin and crypto is starting to take place right now. And chapter two, from the people I read and follow and talk to, and that I think is becoming an actual financial system and being a global open source and highly monetary network, and then sending money instantly around the world peer to peer without these third parties. Um, and so we're talking billions of people and corporations. And so chapter two is about becoming a medium of exchange or a currency. You know, that's what we're just getting into right now. We just need to update our idea of the question of what is backing Bitcoin. So, you know, everyone questions the volatility currently of Bitcoin for it to be used as money. How do you see that kind of being resolved in the future? I think eventually in the future, it is going to become a not a replacement, but an additional form of currency. It's just going to take time. I think it's more important that people just need to understand and get comfortable with, you know, like just like fiat money and paper money is not backed by gold anymore. And there's a whole reason I can go into that. People just need to get understand there's a new technology and this new technology is what's allowed this hockey stick jump up. And it's going to be an additional form of currency going on. It's just a matter of what regulations are in place and how's the government going to make money out of it. And once they figure out that piece of the pie, and then they don't want to miss out, but the government also likes control, then you're going to see it more legitimized here in the US. Do you think it's a, you know, I guess a certain market cap in which Bitcoin needs to hit or a threshold in which more players are involved to actually reduce the volatility for people to maybe use it more as a currency in certain jurisdictions? I think because right now, what you're seeing are the billionaires coming in and what they want to do is get in at better entry points and, and prices. You know, like, because if, if, for example, the speculation was at the end of the year, the analysts were saying like, it'll probably close around 100, 125,000. Well, if it's already at 65,000 and I'm a billionaire and I want to come in, well, I don't want to just take a 50% gain. I want a larger gain than that. So they're going to have to come in, manipulate the market a little bit, drop the price to get a larger gain. And they have the money to do it. And then when you have also S&P 500 companies coming in and trying to do the same thing and get into the game, they have the money to, to manipulate. So I think you're going to have to have more points of entry coming in at high levels to equalize out that structure. But Right now, that's great. If you're not panicking and you're just understanding what's going on market-wise and you're following the market, then these are great entry points because the value itself 
hasn't changed. The blockchain hasn't changed. The trajectory and analysis hasn't changed. So all that's changed is larger sharks are in this pool now who can manipulate the market right now, but they're giving you better entry points. Instead of buying at 65K right now, you can buy at what today it was like- 30-ish. 20 at like 2700 <laughs> where I missed my like last limit call because <laughs> it didn't drop like right where I wanted to drop to, but it's great points of entry when the markets haven't shifted. It's just like investing in Disney. If there's no issue of why Disney stock dropped, that's a great point to go in and buy because you still believe in Disney and they still have a great structure. Same principle with crypto, crypto analysis and the Bitcoin hasn't changed. So then in my opinion, that's still a great bet. Go in and do your homework. If I rely on it, realize that it's still is a speculation. So don't, some people are going heavy all in hundred percent. Some people not. Um, if you're still uncomfortable with it, Vegas rules, don't put in more than you're willing to lose. If you're going to go spend a weekend at Vegas, you know, but easy to say hard for most to listen and, and do. <laughs> absolutely. But that's where you have to give yourself guidelines. Yeah. E- easier said than done. Uh, I mean, you mentioned man- manipulation in the markets and that may pre- prevent some people from getting in. Now, do you also believe that almost all financial markets are manipulated in some capacity? Oh, absolutely. You know, I think there's government manipulation, there's manipulation from billionaires as well as institutional investors. Yeah. No, I agree. So, you know, sometimes people pinpoint the Bitcoin being the one manipulated, but kind of all markets, you know, across the globe are being manipulated. It was a global market. And if you understand this, I think it calms the mind down. And then it realizes as long as you do your homework on a company or you do your homework on the blockchain and the project you're investing in, and you know why you're buying, you're going to hedge your bet. It's just called doing your homework. And then, you know, like for some reason, people follow like lemons, like panic driven buys and sells. I personally believe in like reverse psychological trading. When people are panicking, blood's in the water. That's when sharks invest, you know, but the big sharks cause the blood in the water. Then they come in and feed afterwards. (laughs) So when crypto Twitter is all negative, time to buy, right? When they're all going, throwing crazy memes around and celebrating time to sell. Exactly. You know, you, you, you sell when, it, when it's high and then you buy when it's low. Most people do the opposite. They buy on a high and then they're, you know, selling at this lowest point and they wonder why they never made money. Do you think more institutional investors are now seeing crypto as an investment versus maybe a pure speculation as they did a few years ago? I, I think I'd just be guessing. I think, I think so though, because you're starting to see them added into their portfolios for their clients. And so they're not going to be doing that if they didn't believe in it. As an, it's, not, it's not registered as an asset grade investment yet. And it still is just a property. But if you're seeing these hedge funds start adding it heavily into their portfolios, then obviously there's a reason for it. They believe in it going forward. And then they're pushing at least a small... They're pushing it, I see mostly as a speculative play to add to the portfolio, which is fine. It means that they still believe in it. And now you're seeing the large hedge funds come in and legitimizing it as well as the billionaires gobbling it up. You think with El Salvador uh, establishing Bitcoin as a legal tender, do you see that as a benefit to the community? To the crypto community? Yeah. I don't think it does one thing or the other because you see this going along around the globe. You know, all these financial disenfranchised countries, the reason that these countries and the, the citizens there like Bitcoin is because most of the time, what do you see with their you know, currency? It's worthless or it becomes worthless because of all of the issues that go on politically in these countries. So it's a great stabilization force for these people to have their money in versus their dollar that can go like their dollar can become worthless within one geopolitical issue that pops up. And they can trade it peer to peer, which these countries don't really have access to. It's more or less like they're financially disenfranchised. And so by using Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, it gives them more control over their money or sending their money to other family members without you know, uh, out of control governments that they don't trust. And that's the whole philosophical point of Bitcoin is, you know, lack of trust in the government, lack of trust in the financial institutions, and then just trying to take control over their dollar. What do you think are all the regulatory hurdles that El Salvador will, you know, come across globally and or other jurisdictions 
adopting Bitcoin as a legal tender also? Yeah, that's a great question. Like I think here in the US, like I would just say like, or anywhere, it's a matter of how do they track the currency that's there and keep track of it? Because at the end of the day, any government, what do they want? They want to tax it. They want to be able to find a way to get into it and then make money off of it. Like even the Biden administration now said they want to end up raising, what is it? I think 700 billion worth of tax revenue from crypto in the next like decade. And so this is just what governments do. And so I think the regulations are just going to come in through identifying where is it right now and then regulating it through capital gains and taxes, and then eventually creating their own government form of the currency as a competition. And then because once the government starts competing in something, it wipes out the small man, just like it did with the postal service for a while until now, now you have, you know, FedEx, which is now replacing, you know, like our postal service system, but that took a very long time to do. So I I see that that's what's going to end up happening in each one of these countries that are adopting it is, okay, we're adopting it. Now, how do we tax it? How do we make a revenue out of it? Then how do we start controlling it and regulating it? And then how do we replace it? There's been some conversation around, you know, Bitcoin is a legal tender, not being taxed when you spend it on goods and, and services. And I guess starting with El Salvador, I mean, do you think that spreads across the globe or do you think that's something the U.S. will definitely not allow? Yeah. So, so like kind of you know, like I can talk about how I like currently how it's being taxed and where I think it's going to go. Yeah. I mean, let's start there. I mean, I'm also like, you know, I, I guess some of the stuff I've seen around Twitter is that supposedly if there's some adoption within uh, Bitcoin as a legal tender in certain areas or something that you, it could become a currency in which that when you went to spend it, there wouldn't be a taxable event. Not right now. It's not. Yep. And so like, you need to remember you know, like crypto is a property. So it's going to, and it's defined as a property through the IRS. And so it's going to be taxed per each transaction. What it will do later on down the line, because if you're taxing each transaction, I find that to be very expensive. And so I, that might just be a short-term issue of like, how do we make money out of this? And then the regulations might change down the road. I don't know about that, but if I were owning a big, massive business, I would have my lobbyists be talking about this because you'll make more money if you don't taxes per transactions. um, And there has to be another regulation source for this. But the world that we're living in right now, what all this means is that like when you sell your cryptocurrency, it's a taxable event. And when you convert it from one coin to another, like Ethereum to Bitcoin or Bitcoin to Ethereum, you know, or if you use it to buy anything like a car, which you can't do right now, but you might be able to do, that's a transaction and you're going to pay capital gain tax on it. And any crypto transfers right now, over $10,000 have to be reported to the IRS as well. And the Biden administration made this a criminal penalty. So if you don't, it used to be just a civil penalty, which is a fine. Now, if you don't do this stuff, it's jail time. So just remember that. If you're a US citizen, also just remember that if, um, if you buy and hold crypto, that's not a transaction. And so that doesn't need to be disclosed or reported. So it's just transactional um, movements. If you're a US citizen, just again, remember crypto is a property and it's taxed exactly like a stock sale. The challenge is that a lot of the crypto crowd, you know, they act like it's the wild, wild west and they're prone to just want to find a workaround that fits into their mindset or, you know, an answer that they want to hear. And they don't really want to hear the truth. And so they just keep looking until they find anybody who's going to tell them what they want to hear and validate their thoughts. I know we're talking about this off screen or off recording. And so the reality is that you actually have multiple taxable events that come along with crypto. Like this is the world we live in right now. So it's just not as simple as saying that, you know, I owe no taxes until I convert it back to fiat currency or the dollar. But that's what a lot of people thoughts actually are, or they think that they can just create, you know, offshore entities and tax structures in other countries and think that, you know, well, I'm offshore and I'm off the tax radar and don't have to disclose their holdings and not pay taxes. That's not correct. Offshore entities, especially purely foreign entities, which I'll talk about later on, like how to protect this stuff. You actually have to disclose all assets held in your purely foreign trust accounts per IRS codes. Um, So if you own crypto in your portfolio, 
Make sure you have a CPA that's familiar with crypto and up to date on its regulations because they're always changing. And again, you know, like I want to beat this point into you. The IRS classifies crypto as property. So then you're taxed on transfers and capital gains. And if you're just investing on exchanges, a lot of the people have multiple wallets and they're purchasing on multiple exchanges and have different coins. And this creates lots and lots of data. The issue is most of them are all using different tax forms and giving you old and bad information. So what you really should do is have a separate tax tool that consolidates all these different tax forms and information and all these actions that you do, and then consolidate it into one tax application or combine them into one that then give you the correct tax form and that you can then send to your CPA. And some of them already exist on the marketplace. Like there's coin tracker and Taxbit. I actually use Taxbit myself. Like I don't have any affiliation with them. I just found them like it works really well. And I also want to say that you should think of having to pay taxes on your crypto trading as a blessing. I know you don't agree with me on this, but if you actually have to pay taxes on your crypto trades, just like a business paying corporate taxes, that means that you're actually doing something right and you're making money. So congratulations. That's really good. You know, so keep chasing excellence and be happy because our country and the system still allows you to make money. You know, like you're going to have to pay your taxes. Just go to your CPA and your wealth managers and throttle the tax code and use it tax code as a, a treasure chest because you can also do cool things you know like to optimize your tax refund like crypto loss harvesting talk to your cpa about that but have a good cpa that's very knowledgeable in crypto just like i advise clients investing in real estate have a cpa who knows real estate not all cpas work in the same realm just like not all doctors practice in the same area not all lawyers practice in the same area so go to the cpa who understands both your personal taxes and your investment strategy yeah you mentioned tax harvesting uh definitely the market's kind of down about 50 percent ish over the last 60 days so it's definitely a good time to take a look at your portfolio and see if there's any strategies to implement for this year. Yeah. And I would say talk to your crypto CPA quarterly because then they can come, you can come up with a strategy on when's the optimal time to harvest your losses. And then that will help you with your taxes. And so like your CPA is one of your best friends. People are afraid to talk to their CPA and not just in crypto in any walk of life, like talk to your CPA all the time and do proper tax planning and for your annual taxes throughout the year. I think some of the biggest problems people have is getting the right CPA, you know, out of every hundred, there's a couple that actually know what they're doing well. Yeah. And this is, is vet them, you know, or talk to your friends who are investing similar to you, who, you know, are set up really well. And then ask, who's your CPA? Why do you like them? Have you come in? How long have you worked with them? Um, get some referrals, then call them and then find out how do they match on you? How aggressive are they? Do they believe in aggressive tax filing? Will they find the line and walk to it or not? And that's a personal feel also. Some people are very conservative and don't want to maximize taxes. Some people are very aggressive. Some people are overly aggressive and are willing to overstep the boundaries <laughs> and whatever, wild, wild west time, you know, see what happens. Well, I always thought it was interesting. Some of the crypto people that thought they'd never pay taxes, uh, uh, you know, in, in years ago and thinking it was a non-taxable event. But uh, yeah, I mean, if you make profit on anything really in the US, you're, you're paying taxes, right? Yeah. And just think of it like a property and it's taxed and treated just like a stock. I know uh, Tesla for a hot moment had uh, the ability to buy a car with Bitcoin and then they, they pulled it back. You know, the conversation was around that if you actually spend your Bitcoin to buy any type of asset right now, that you would have that taxable event. Exactly. And that's because it's a transaction. So you're transferring, you're converting your Bitcoin selling it to buy another commodity, just like you would be transferring coin to coin. That's a transaction, which most people don't recognize. Coin to coin transactions are a transaction. Transferring your coin to a Tesla car or anything else or a pizza is a, trans is a transaction, taxable event. And so just realize anytime you convert it, sell it, transfer it, that is a taxable event, which has to be recorded and, and disclosed to the IRS. Do you have uh, clients that are kind of going through the migration trend right now to states with less of a state income tax or to Puerto Rico or even renouncing their citizenship? 
No, I don't. Most of them are just kind of fall in line with what I just talked about was maximize their taxes with through their CPAs and they just throttle the line. But a lot of them just look at paying taxes. Hey, it sucks. They just create different entities to try to have it taxed at a corporate level versus a personal level. And then from there, they look at it as, hey, I'm paying my taxes and they're not fleeing the country because they'd rather be here in the US in another country. But they just try not to own at like the way we set up asset protection trusts, we have them offshore, but we domesticate them for a reason, um, which I would say, listen to our past episode that for like a big breakdown on why we do that and how we do that. But they're staying in the US and then setting up their systems here in the US. They're not trying to flee because if you start fleeing and you start setting up entities like in the Caymans or Puerto Rico and offshore for tax hidance or avoidance, remember that's fraud. That's tax, vi- tax avoidance. Like eventually you're going to pop up on the IRS radar and then that's when you end up going to jail. And so like, I just look at it as don't do things that are illegal and don't do like things through tax avoidance or hindrance. There's nothing wrong with saving taxes and throttling the tax code to maximize every penny that you can have. But if you start hiding assets to avoid paying taxes, that's when things go south for you. Got it. And so most people, you mentioned multiple exchanges. So most people go to an exchange and they set up an account. And my guess is most of the time, they just go there, path of least resistance set up in their personal name, use their ID, account set up. What entity or structure should people be using to set up their accounts at the exchanges or at least put in place prior to yeah. initially buying? Absolutely. That's a really great question. And you know, like, I'll just go to like, how do you protect your crypto? And then like, this will explain it and why you should. And it's really simple. And I would suggest assigning them to what's called an asset management limited partnership. And then some exchanges, you can actually open up the account in your asset protection trust or bridge trust. You put it in the name of the trust itself, which works, not your name. And um, you can, like I said, like listen to our past episode on the breakdown of asset protection structures for that. But the benefit of transferring your crypto exchange into a trust is simply that if a person like you, you know, who's investing in crypto, like Bitcoin does get sued or goes into debt, the course can actually force you to disclose all of your assets that you're and the holdings that you have. And remember, cryptocurrency is a property. And this also includes like your digital currency. And so you want to include these things into your asset protection trust. And so this goes kind of without saying that since crypto is a legal property and it can be subject to court orders and courts can force you to disclose what you have um, and place liens on them. And then even the exchanges that you're investing on can be subpoenaed, which people don't realize this. And they'll have to reveal the accounts and ownerships and information that you have and the amounts and the funds available. And so these accounts and these exchanges and the funds in them are very vulnerable to being seized by creditors. And so the only way to really protect your cryptocurrency is to include them into your asset protection planning that you would like real estate or any other asset. There's this misconception that cryptocurrency is untraceable and there's no way to know if you own it or how much you own. And that's just not the case. When you're in a lawsuit, and discovery served on you and a judge orders you to disclose your assets, you will either lie under oath and you commit perjury and you go to jail or you disclose it. It's really simple. And each transaction you make is recorded, remember, in that audible ledger. And the exchanges, again, can be served subpoenas and they will end up having to disclose what you own and how much you own of it. So it's just don't get cutesy with it. Just protect it properly and, you should, and you'll be fine. Do you feel that, you know, some people, uh, I, I guess, generate fear that, you know, their assets might not be safe on the centralized exchanges from either the, you know, from the government? What is your opinion there? No, I, I, I find that because what happens if the exchange doesn't exist anymore? And like, there are stories about people who own Bitcoins on exchanges that went out of business. And the next thing you know, like there's missing Bitcoins now because there's what, only 21 million are ever going to be made. And I forget how many said, you know, millions they said are, are lost and will never be found because of that issue or like computers crashing and not backing them up into your digital, you know, wallet. So I, I agree, like it's not really yours unless you take them off, you know, like and store them into your, your wallet. But then again, those, the fact that you purchase a certain amount can be discovered through the exchange that you person them through. Do you think the, uh, even just from a seizure 
a seize opportunity? Do you think the government, you know, or the, uh, the IRS will will see more cases here in the next couple of years uh, through these centralized exchanges where people didn't pay their taxes and they seize yes. the account? I do because the Biden administration specifically said that they're going to be doing this and that they're going to be ordering audits and they're going to be looking through people who own crypto and auditing them. So that's why I'm like, have your ledgers and your books in order, get a CPA in line, um, get your taxes in order because little thing of not just not reporting one little transaction because you had a bunch of wallets and you didn't realize you had to do this and you had to consolidate them all into one easy traceable ledger. It doesn't mean that you're being audited because you did anything shady. It just means you missed a transaction and didn't get reported. So just stay ahead of it, do it properly as an investor, and then work with a good CPA, track everything that you do. Just like if you have a, a real estate portfolio and you're tracking it through your um, you know, portfolio, whenever a client calls in and like, hey, send me your portfolio and they send me a list of everything that they own, how they own it and their names and all of that. The same thing with your crypto. You just need to start getting smarter with it and take care of your assets. I agree. I mean, what are some other ways that maybe people can think of to help protect their crypto assets? Um, I think those are the main ones is, you know, get them out of your name. You know, if you're concerned about the exchanges uh, crashing, you know, and also like I do agree, you know, like take your currency that you own, put them in your digital wallet, because if that exchange ended up going bankrupt and not existing, then you have like, you can have millions in that portfolio and it's gone. So take more control over your assets, have a CPA, protect them, put them into a management company or into an asset protection trust so that it is protected from court orders and judgments because it is a property and you will be forced to disclose. Realize if you own them off sure the IRS has specific codes and IRS disclosures that you have to follow and annually disclose what you own in these offshore purely foreign offshore trust that's why we don't use purely foreign trust specifically is because we don't want to have to deal with clients annually reporting everything that they own in them you want some sort of anonymity and not have to tell people what you own so then we just domesticate those trusts until you need that strength so realize you don't need to get cutesy with it if you start trying to hinder or hide assets to avoid taxes that's where problems come in this administration is going to be very aggressive on finding and locating assets and crypto and then auditing you if you didn't report your transactions which is nothing wrong with that just realize that's what the government does to make money the government has ability or has been uh, getting the data from their exchanges already. And now that it's Correct. all on a, a public ledger, they, they got the easiest auditable thing that they can go after versus all the businesses that are using cash and whatever it may be that this is actually the low hanging fruit and people don't realize that. Correct. And that's the thing that they don't understand is like just the use of the Bitcoin is it's completely audible and open. And so this is what they need to realize is just because you own a digital currency, it's actually easier to trace. It's right there. It's open. Now, I know we did the other episode in depth on the trust, but maybe for those that are listening here that didn't hear that episode, what at the highest level, you know, is the process in which to kind of set up a trust and how does that mechanism work and, you know, a rough cost? Yeah. So um, the, the bridge trust, the benefit of it is that it's an off, fully foreign offshore Cook Island trust. That's been the, the mother of all trust, the Golden Globe standard, the strongest one, which here, even in the U.S., it's been around for almost 40 years. We have Supreme Court cases that they can't even penetrate through. And so you have a lot of case law, almost all the case law of the world goes through the Cook Islands. So it's very solidified in almost 40 years of case law. So you know what you're going to get with the Cook Islands. So we have, and we use what's called a fully foreign Cook Islands Asset Protection Trust. The Bridge Trust, what it does is it domesticates it to the IRS for the IRS to classify it as a domestic trust. And the reason you want that is if you're purely foreign, it's overkill for most people. It's very expensive to have a purely foreign offshore trust. It's going to be around $50,000 
plus five to $10,000 a year to maintain a purely foreign trust. It's very expensive on the maintenance, but it's just ironclad, very, very strong, even against super creditors like the IRS, or if, you know, like there's the Anderson case of, you know, people committing criminal Ponzi schemes and they still couldn't get in the trust. I don't condone Ponzi schemes or criminal activity. I'm just saying it as a point of reference, very, very strong. Overkill for nine out of 10 people. So what you want is to have a purely foreign asset protection trust. And then we build the bridge back to the US to domesticate it because it's cheaper to maintain. Generally, you're talking about $2,100 a year annually to maintain it. And you don't need to be offshore until you're offshore. You just want the ability to be able to do it. And so what we do is if you ever were to be sued and had a level of duress, we would drop domestic compliance, which means removing you as the main trustee, your offshore trustee automatically steps into the main trustee. Now you're purely foreign when you need to. And that gives you the pure strength and power. A bridge trust, because it's domesticated, is cheaper. So it's generally going to be around $29,000 to set up with a management company. And then it's $2,100 to maintain. And that's kind of... At that point, the strongest trust in the world that you would end up having. And then it gives you the benefit of both worlds, domestic flexibility with offshore power if and when you need it. I've seen some conversation around, uh, you know, people that own crypto where they, they pass away, right? And they either didn't properly track their keys or there may not be a mechanism in the, the kind of pass on that crypto. You know, one, what benefit does this trust put in place to help with that estate process? And two, maybe, you know, any words in which people could better organize their keys or somehow to kind of tie this all together if people die that own crypto. Yeah. So if you have the, if you have the exchanges, not in your personal name, but under the trust, once you pass, it's going to pass per the directives of the beneficiaries lifted and listed in the trust, just like any other asset as a property. And so then the rest of it is just going to know what you buy. And if you're buying on multiple exchanges, consolidate it into a, a good app that consolidates all your transactions that we talked about, because then you have a full ledger list. Nothing's going to get missed because per transaction, everything's automatically um, tracked and traced. And it creates a nice little package that you can then give to your CPA and track. And you have a nice full ledger versus, oh, well, I forgot my Gemini wallet. Forgot it. I even owned anything in there. Um, if you just, as you open up a wallet, you create the key, put it into like a tax bit, you know, centralized form. Every transaction automatically will go straight into there and create one nice pure ledger is nice and clean. All your wallets, you take out of your name, put them into the management company or into your asset protection trust. And it gives you that benefit, that peace of mind of saying, okay, my assets will pass as I directed in my trust. So beyond the asset protect, protection piece, the estate planning is, I mean, just as important right here, right? For those that have assets yeah. in case something happens. Yeah. And that's part of asset protection. Like asset protection just protects the assets, but with an asset protection trust, there's different types of trust. Um, with the bridge trust, we would just make reference to all assets listed in this trust passed per the directives of your living will or your you know traditional revocable trust. So that would be listing all your beneficiaries, all the assets are owned in your asset protection trust, and they would just pass per your directives that you've already laid out. Okay. And now, I mean, there's been a lot of, you know, I, I guess mixed rumors across the internet about the Cook Islands, right? And whether it's good, bad, you know, different people selling different things. I mean, kind of, you know, give us some more clarity around that. Yeah. So the great thing with the Cook Islands and why it's the global gold standard is that's all they do is asset protection. There's no tax avoidance. They don't dip their toe in the tax. It's the only thing that they have there is asset protection versus like if you go to the Caymans or the Bahamas, um, Belize, they, that's where you start getting into red flags around the world is because that's more for tax avoidance and you know hiding assets for taxes. And then whenever you're using like a Belize asset protection trust or a Caymans, you end up having to build a backdoor strategy anyways to the Cook Islands. Um, so our principle is like, if you're building a backdoor to the Cook Islands, we're just going to the Cook Islands. Because the issue is when you're at Belize or Caymans or any of those countries, 
they're tied into EU agreements like the EU or American trade uh, agreements. They have other trades beyond asset protection. They have pearls, black pearls. They have sugar. They have other industry. They have um, travel. The Cook Islands has none of that. They strictly only care about asset protection. They stay out of the taxes. It's tax neutral. And that's why the Cook Islands globally is the strongest. They don't dip themselves into any other trade or commodity. And they only focus on asset protection. And so you're not blacklisted by creating uh, Cook Islands asset protection trust versus if you had a Caymans or Bahamas. As soon as that pops up, oh, red flag. Let's start looking at this for an audit. You mentioned a lot of different islands here. Hopefully people are going to make a lot of money in crypto and then look for different real estate across the world. You mentioned something about like a Fiji project, right? Oh yeah. I have a, an invest, a client who strictly hundred percent investing in uh, you know, crypto and he's just purchased an Island off of Fiji and he's creating uh, basically a type of Google um, crypto hub for investors to come and learn about investing in crypto. And it's a really cool project that he's going to be putting in, like, I think like 50 million into developing this uh, Google type crypto investors travel retreat. Owned by a trust. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he is a client of ours. So yeah. (laughs) No, that's good. I mean, what other areas are you seeing, uh, you know, uh, kind of exotic ideas that, you know, this tokenization and, you know, uh, cryptocurrency movement going? I think it gives people a chance to diversify out their, their portfolios. Like you got to add some speculation into it, but you know, like if you have a chance to invest in something where there's already like a, uh, an expected that I've heard each coin could be valued at one to 3 million come a certain amount of time. Why not? You know, like you put a little bit in some people like a hundred bucks a month or whatever. Why not? It gives you more control over your future. And if that can be a retirement for you, or I've had some friends that invested in crypto just last year, paid off all their medical school loans, bought their house out in cash, no debt, and then just bought a Ferrari in mm-hmm. one year of investing minimally in there. So I'm not saying as a chance, like, oh my God, it's a gold mine. But if you have a little bit of fun money, instead of going and blowing in Vegas, maybe think about investing it in the crypto a little bit there and do your homework and pick out, you know, why you're investing in there and understand trends. And it'll give you more freedom because that's ultimately what you're investing in is freedom. And then freedom gives you time, it gives you ability, ability to do what you want. And then freedom of with money opens up the world of opportunities for you. Just don't go blow it all in one place. No, I agree. And do you see uh, with these tokenized real estate assets, I mean, that kind of brings up the security tokens. And so do you see that gaining a lot of traction over the next few years, even from the investor's appetite? Yeah, I think like the more options that you have, you know, like the better. I think right now, Bitcoin by name value is going to be the main, is the main play. But as more and more projects get going, I think you need to understand the projects, but also understand like if you're not investing in, Bitcoin or Ethereum, then you really need to do a deep work into what are these projects? What, what do they add to the blockchains and the environment? Knowing that we're going into chapter two of Bitcoin and we're trying to become, it's trying to become, you know, like an actual financial institution and medium of exchange, that's going to be very big. I agree. Well, I think that wraps it up. I mean, I asked you the final question last time, so maybe I'll just ask it in a different way, but you know, maybe what is the biggest thing you have seen that your clients overall have implemented or achieved in their life that has increase their net worth the most? I think that I, I'll, I'll give another answer than the last one is just like, they're not afraid to fail. You know, like it's all, it all comes down to mindset. It's not implementing one specific thing or technology because that all changes. All the successful clients that I've seen all live through failure, lots of failure. They just control their mindset and their frame. They're masters at it. And they don't let bad situations or failures derail them. They just keep pushing through and pushing forward. How do we, how do we translate that educational wise to the young folks? <laughs> to, the, to the young folks, it means you're going to fail. And if you're young and starting out, you're going to fail more times than not. Just fall forward. You know, and if you fall backwards, get yourself back up. Why did I fail? Understand it. 
learn from it. Don't make the same mistake twice and go forward. And then you're going to grow very fast and then surround yourself with winners. Like look around your network, look around your friends and say, who's making me stretch and grow and who's holding me back. Who's a friend of me. If you're not making me stretch and grow as a person internally and in my business, like one thing that I do is every weekend, my buddies who are all business owners, we come over and we have cigars and cognac in the back and we talk about business and life you know, and we all help, we're all in different areas of business, you know, but we all help each other stretch and grow professionally and personally. So assess your friends, assess your business structures and the people around you surround yourself with success. And if you're the smartest one around the table, change your table. All right. And for those listeners that would like to get a hold of you, learn more about this asset protection trust, because obviously there's serious net worth or, you know, increase in net worth that may happen here in the crypto market. What is the best way for them to get a hold of you? You can jump on my website, www.btblegal.com and send me an email, Brian, B-R-I-A-N at btblegal.com. And you're like, I have no problem. I'm very accessible. I like talk to people. I like to help solve problems. Like if you can't afford me or you find like you're not a good client fit, that's great. But I'd at least like you to be educated on your options and then go from there. I appreciate coming on today again. Ah, thanks. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes and leave a rating and a review. See you on our next episode. Thanks for listening to The Joe Roberts Show. Take these tips and insights that you can use to help grow your own personal wealth and share them with a friend that could also benefit. Don't miss a single episode or updates. Subscribe to our email list at joerobert.com. And as always, keep pushing yourself towards a more impactful life. The Joe Roberts Show. Joe Robert Show. The Joe Robert Show.